Hey everybody, it is Monday, March 9th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brad Eslick, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we'll touch on a bit of spooky, scary news. We'll touch on some uh, stuff that basically got pulled out of nowhere for Ford today, and uh, we'll go a little bit further in-depth in the car culture segment, still going to be news talking about GM's uh, 11 different electric vehicles that were announced late last week. Uh, but before we get to all of that, uh, this is the part of the show where I remind you that uh, we do the show usually at least once a week. Uh, we publish it for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if you do like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, help us continue to grow ever so slightly each week. And uh, yeah, after the bump, guys, we'll talk about some car news. So I uh, attempted to record this podcast much earlier in the day, actually pretty early in the morning, uh, focusing in on stories about the uh, fuel war that seems to be emerging out of OPEC nations. Uh, we still don't know what the ramifications of this will be, but in the most condensed version, uh, Saudi Arabia is going to be flooding uh, the fuel market with very cheap petroleum. Uh, there are a lot of fears that the price of uh, oil barrels could drop to uh, somewhere between $30 and $40 a barrel uh, and could upend uh, oil markets really all over the world. Uh, the stock market uh, was trading like 1,200 points below uh, where it had been at the day previous in intramarket trading over the weekend. Uh, they actually closed the market here in the U.S. Uh, just because things tanked so quick. So we'll keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, I guess on the upside, uh, gasoline will be getting cheaper. On the downside, there are a lot of jobs that may be lost in regard to that uh, in terms of oil production here in the U.S. So the thing is, is it's happening today as we speak. We do not know what the ramifications will, of this will be further on down the road, so we will see what happens. Uh, the main thing, though, that we're going to talk about today, at least in the upfront news section, and then later we'll go into deeper depth uh, about some GM-related news, uh, are some Fords. Uh, there were two stories today uh, that kind of leaked out all around the same time uh, in the early afternoon, uh, one of which will start with something that we've talked about on the show, which is uh, a sub-ranger pickup truck coming out of Ford. Now, Ford has you know, committed, doubled down to the Ranger uh, here in the U.S. because they saw the extreme growth that came out of the mid-sized truck market uh, with entries like the uh, Chevrolet Colorado, the GMC Canyon, uh, the Honda Ridgeline. You know, that whole segment of pickup trucks has really exploded because there are a lot of people who like the idea of buying and owning a pickup truck, having that extra little bit of capability, but don't want to deal with the full-size nature of overly large pickup trucks. Case in point, my dad just bought a 2020 uh, Chevrolet Silverado Trail Boss, and his Trail Boss does not fit in our garage uh, if he has the trailer hitch on. Uh, this flies in the face of his Avalanche that he had had, where the Avalanche would fit perfectly with extra space with a trail hitch on, and... Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't know. We didn't think that the Silverado was really going to be any bigger, and it turns out it is. So it's kind of a strange thing. If he would have bought something the size of like a Colorado or a Canyon, uh, he, there wouldn't be a single problem at all. Uh, and that's a problem that many people are facing all over the country. They, they like the idea of a truck, but can't commit to the full-size nature of them. So now that the midsize market is exploding, uh, apparently even FCA is going to be having a midsize entry very soon beyond just the Jeep Gladiator. Uh, there's a good chance that uh, that market will become relatively saturated, not a lot of opportunity for growth. And as such, now people are looking at what the next market size down is. Uh, the first entry in that market will likely be the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which we talked about at length a few episodes ago. Uh, more or less, that pickup truck is going to be based on the Santa, Santa Fe platform. So I uh, think kind of sort of a Honda Ridgeline, but another maybe 20% smaller, if even that. Uh, it's going to be, you know, something that's going to be 
little bit of a lower riding thing. It's going to have a somewhat capable all-wheel drive system. It's going to have a somewhat powerful uh, two-liter turbocharged engine as an option. Uh, but really, outside of that, you know, you're not getting... Uh, a whole lot more other than, you know, an open bed, presumably that would have an available cover that you could reach in and out of. Uh, it probably won't have a mid-gate. Uh, it's, it's meant to be a family vehicle with a small bed in the back and nothing more. Well, Ford is looking to do the same kind of thing. Uh, this new pickup truck that's been talked about is one that is based on a global uh, smaller car platform. Uh, in this case, it would be the same chassis that resides beneath the Ford Focus that's in Europe, which I think technically is the same chassis that's beneath the current Escape. Uh, and overall, this vehicle is meant to kind of sit side by side with the new Fusion replacement that's coming along as well. Of course, the Fusion appears that it's going to be replaced by something like a Subaru Outback wagon. Uh, this new compact pickup truck uh, would kind of seek to start where the old Ranger left off. Uh, Ford is apparently saying that they want to sell these things for less than $20,000 to start. They really want to make this a mass market vehicle. They want to make it appealing to as wide of a number of people as possible. Uh, and at $20,000, presumably with a small EcoBoost turbocharged engine, probably the three-cylinder engine, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see it with a stick and front-wheel drive in some configurations uh, available elsewhere uh, in the world. Here in the U.S., probably just automatic only. Uh, that sounds like a pretty decent idea. Now, here's the thing. We really don't know anything about this vehicle, and the prototype photos that are being snapped and talked about online uh, really don't show a whole lot other than a really basic summary of what they think the size is going to be. Uh, saying it's going to be roughly the size of an Escape with a small truck bed on the back, I think makes sense. Uh, it might, you know, think of a What's a good way to put this? Think of like the Ford Escape, uh, take the uh, sliding adjustable seats, scoot them all the way forward, and then chop off their back and make it a bed and maybe extend it another couple of inches. And you probably got a pretty good idea of what this thing's gonna be. So turbocharged three-cylinder engine, uh, automatic uh, all-wheel drive system, uh, probably automatic transmission only. Uh, you know, I think full fat off-road trims, you're probably looking at somewhere around Thirty to $35,000, but uh, this is going to meant to be a pretty affordable small truck and could start the small pickup truck wars because here's the other thing. Uh, it has been kicked around for quite a long time uh, that FCA might want to do a small pickup truck based on the Jeep Renegade. Uh, it has been kicked around for some time that GM had been thinking about doing a smaller truck as well. Uh, People like trucks, especially here in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, I, I personally like the idea of a truck, even with a teeny tiny little bed, uh, having a spot to put a bike or to throw uh, things when you're moving or to have just that little extra bit of cargo space is great. Um, you end up with unlimited vertical space, which is always a good thing, uh, which an SUV can't quite do. So... In the end, you know, it might be a cool thing, but I still think we're going to be several years out until we know anything for sure. Now, speaking of something that is a good bit more tangible, uh, there were some photos posted online today that go hand in hand with some leaked images from a dealer, a Ford dealer association meeting uh, that happened late last year. Uh, it's pretty well known that we've got a new Bronco coming. This new Bronco that's coming from Ford is going to be based on a pickup truck chassis. I believe it's related to the uh, one under the current Ford Ranger. And it is meant to be an all-out off-road vehicle uh, with a removable top. Uh, be much more competitive with something along the lines of a Jeep Wrangler versus something like a... I don't know, Land Rover Defender. I guess it's kind of a weird little spot that this thing's going to go into. Um, more of a off-road vehicle than an actual SUV. Uh, but Ford had been saying, or at least indicating for a while, that not only would there be an all-out Bronco, but there would also be what they were calling a baby Bronco, in air quotes. 
and images were leaked from that dealer association showing a small SUV uh, that had some of the character lines from the new Bronco included in it, uh, but that it would definitely be much more of a civilian use day-to-day vehicle. Now, those images that were leaked showed something in profile that looked very similar to, you know, older Land Rovers, uh, some of the... uh, Post talked about how it seemed a lot like a Jeep Renegade or a Jeep Compass, you know, kind of distilling some of the iconic uh, bits and bobs from the class-leading vehicles up top into something that's more practical for most people day to day. Uh, the photos that were leaked today were showing a near, it lo- almost looked production-ready. Uh, it's probably a pretty late-in-development prototype uh, vehicle painted in this really lovely light blue color uh, with a two-tone roof uh, and body, uh, had a white roof. Uh, Looks like it's going to be a higher trimmed Bronco, uh, but the name that was on it uh, had Bronco on the back tailgate and then had a sport designation uh, in the bottom right corner. Uh, This is leading folks to believe that this vehicle will end up being called the Bronco Sport, uh, not the Baby Bronco. Uh, I'm calling it the Bronco 3 in my brain. Uh, This Bronco 3... Well, we don't really know a whole lot about it. Uh, There were some indications late last year when the Escape was first getting rolled out that this new Bronco 3 would be based on that same chassis as the Ford Escape. Um, If that is the case, uh, it's definitely showing the flexibility of this platform if they're also considering doing a pickup truck based on that same chassis. Uh, This new Bronco 3 seems to be probably four cylinders most of the time, uh, automatic only. Definitely looks to have a little bit more of a luxurious level of appointment to it. Um, There were no photos of the interior, but given, what's a good way to put this, given the similarity in interior design between the new Explorer and the new Escape, I think you've got a fairly good idea of what a modern uh, interior in an all-new Ford crossover is going to look like. Uh, The other thing that wasn't really easily to uh, discertain from these photos is what the actual size of the vehicle is. Given that it's based on the uh, Escape, it's fair to say it's probably going to be pretty similar in size to the Escape. Uh, The Escape is a little bit lower and a little bit wider than the outgoing previous version. Uh, I really like the size and shape of the new Escape. Uh, The rear seats are fantastic. They're very comfortable. Um, But overall, you know, what the Escape loses in the their uh, mission to make it more car-like is that it no longer has the off-road capability that the first generation Escape once had. Uh, and I think it's definitely one of those things where, as we've talked about on the show, uh, the current Escape is meant to entice not only buyers of previous Escapes, but also Fusion buyers and Focus buyers whereas this new Bronco Sport or Bronco 3 or whatever we end up deciding to call it uh, does, is meant to take buyers away from vehicles like the Jeep Renegade, the Jeep Compass, uh, and the Jeep Cherokee to some extent, uh, and, you know, potentially pull people away from, you know, deciding to buy lower-end Land Rovers and Range Rovers, uh, maybe lower-end Mercedes-Benzes, thinking of, like, tough-looking small SUVs, those kinds of things. All things considered, I think what I'm most interested in is whether or not this thing's going to have any off-road credibility. Uh, The Jeep Renegade and Jeep Compass, with which share a chassis, uh, powertrain, and all-wheel drive system, uh, these vehicles are actually fairly capable off-road. Now, when I say those words, these things aren't going to go toe-to-toe with, say, a Jeep Grand Cherokee or a Jeep Wrangler. Uh, But these things are going to be able to go out in the mud and ruts and get around pretty easily. I have firsthand experience with a Renegade uh, that was, well, more civilian duty equipped. What's a good way to put it? Uh, it It was a system that was capable in the snow but it was let down by the tires, the wheels and tires that were on it. Uh, With, uh, say, a Trailhawk Cherokee, or excuse me, a Trailhawk Renegade or Compass, you know, those things can get pretty tough and dirty. I mean, they're let down by uh, the type of suspension geometry that they use, uh, and the computer does kick in to, uh, what's a good way to put this, restrict the power that you're trying to put down uh, a little too often in some cases. But in the end, you know, compared to, say, a Honda CRV 
or a Toyota RAV4, uh, you're going to get a lot further with the Jeeps uh, than those other two. Uh, so this Bronco, I think, has a lot going for it. It looks pretty tough. It's got pretty uh, narrow uh, approach and departure angle. It doesn't look particularly long, so it's probably going to have a pretty uh, good center of gravity. It looks like it's got uh, you know pretty decent ground clearance with the right tires on it. I think this thing could go off-road. It's just a matter of whether or not Ford equips it with the right powertrain, uh, with an all-wheel drive system that can actually keep the power down to the ground. And I think in the end, what it really comes down to is where the price is going to be at. Uh, Ford, at least in my mind, they are just as bad as General Motors, where they price their vehicles way too high in terms of MSRP with the express knowledge that they are going to discount them significantly to make them competitive with other vehicles. Uh, it's a stupid strategy. It, it doesn't bode well in terms of... Uh, demonstrating that your vehicle has some level of value compared to another one. Uh, Jeep does it too, to a greater extent, but I think Jeep, you know, you're selling on name brand, so people don't really care. But with this Ford, they've got to make a splash. You know, we haven't had a Bronco in the U.S. in the better part of, what, 25 years? Uh, it's been quite a long time. And to have this new one come in and say, hey, we're going to go up against these things that are selling extremely well in their segment, uh, you know, Ford, you got to do a little bit more. Uh, so I'm hoping that these things aren't too extravagantly priced. Uh, I think in my brain, you know, if you wanted to go a full tilt for a full fat off-road Bronco, uh, I would probably try to, you know, hit that nail on the head right around thirty to $32,000. That's about what the price of a uh, pretty low equipment uh Jeep Trailhawk is going to run you. That's a pretty good price. Um, but I think, you know, the heart of the buying community is going to be around $27,000-$28,000. Uh, that'll give you a little bit of room above where the Renegade and Compass are at. Um, but, you know, if the capability is there, if the size is there, uh, a little bit cheaper than the other Jeeps. And I, I think that's the sweet, pot, sweet spot to target. So uh, seeing this thing... Pretty close to being done. Uh, that leads me to believe that Ford's going to be making some kind of announcements in the not-too-distant future. Probably, potentially, as early as April uh, with the New York Auto Show, if we are getting a New York Auto Show at this point. Um, otherwise, uh, fair bet it's going to be June uh, for the Detroit Auto Show, uh, where we see a lot more. So we shall see what's going on. But anyway, in the car culture segment after the bump, we're going to talk about the big news from last week, which is about uh, General Motors and their EV technology and what a big shift this is going to mean uh, for General Motors on the whole. So late last week, GM had a big press conference over in Detroit. Uh, a lot of different uh, press organizations were invited to this meeting, and GM had a bundle, a big old bundle of EV announcements, uh, including a bunch of prototypes on hand uh, to show to the press. Uh, the Detroit Free Press, I think, had arguably the best coverage. Uh, it got spread around all over the internet. So if you just type in uh, GM uh, EVs uh, and just hit the news tab on Google, uh, it'll pull up a bunch of the stories. Uh, they had 11 different vehicles to show off. Uh, but the main takeaway is that GM is taking everything that they've learned in the past 20 years when it comes to developing uh, electric batteries, platforms, motors, so on and so forth, and they plan to use that to roll out a slew of vehicles over the next five years to really spearhead uh, General Motors as an innovation company uh, in terms of electric vehicles. Uh, the big thing up front is that, well, GM's got a lot going against them right now. Not only is Tesla completely dominating the EV marketplace uh, and really kind of turning a lot of vehicle sales uh, around in their favor. I mean, the Model 3 is one of the best-selling vehicles in the United States right now. Uh, the Model Y will probably do exactly the same thing when that goes on sale later this year. Um, 
you know, everybody's scratching their heads being like, what do we do? Uh, Ford was smart enough to invest in Rivian, where they're going to get some of Rivian's technology. Uh, there's a good chance that Rivian themselves are going to steal a lot of sales from uh, Ford, GM, and Chrysler when their electric truck and SUV debuts uh, at the end of this year on into early 21 or 2021. Uh, and, you know, I think GM kind of got caught flat-footed. They were contesting for that Rivian uh buyout as well or not buyout but investment as well and Ford ended up getting it uh at the last second so what's going on at GM well you know wind the clock back to like the early 2000s uh they had been talking about uh EVs and fuel cell vehicles uh as an idea that would be on a skateboard platform uh, this platform idea is one that Tesla themselves use, uh, where basically you would get this rolling chassis uh, with a battery built in, and this chassis could be shrunk or extended out to different vehicle sizes, and you could mount uh, electric motors at the front or rear or both ends of the vehicle to create a wide variety of cars, trucks, SUVs uh, to meet the demands of customers within each brand of your company. Uh, GM had things like the high wire concept uh, many, many years ago that was driven on Top Gear and so many other things uh, where, you know, James May is in there and he's talking about how, you know, it's quiet, it drives so easily, it's electronic throttle, it's electronic brakes, it's electronic steering, uh, cameras and stuff are everywhere, uh, how that was going to be the future. And we're basically to that point. I think people are maybe a little more skittish about the electronic uh, steering input, but the brakes and throttle uh, are definitely as normal as ever, and so are the cameras. So this project that we're going to be starting to see the fruits of uh, end of this year into early 2021 are going to be, well, a wide variety of vehicles that are using the same battery technology, which are believe GM's calling the Altanium. I think I'm misremembering what the name of it was, but uh, nevertheless, this battery technology, uh, they are pouch style batteries, which means that they are uh, extremely dense, uh, high energy batteries that can be uh, shrunk or expanded to uh, a wide variety of sizes. So GM is saying that this new battery technology can go uh, down to like 50 kilowatt hour battery on up to uh, an 800 kilowatt hour battery. Uh, and this battery can expunge a very vast amount of energy so that, you know, whether this is being used in a small hybrid system or a small electric car, uh, it can also be used in a full-size pickup truck uh, hauling not only 5,000 plus pounds of truck, um, but in addition, another five to 7,000 pounds of towing capability behind it. Uh, all in all, uh, GM is saying that uh, these vehicles with this technology, basically between now and 2025, somewhere we're going to start seeing it, uh, and a lot of these vehicles are going to be assembled at the Detroit Hamtramck plant, uh, just outside of the city of Detroit, uh, the plant which uh, formerly was assembling uh, cars like the Chevy Volt, the Cadillac XTS, and a few others. So what are the first things that we're going to see on this new platform with this new technology? Well, two of them are going to be Cadillacs. Uh, one is known as the Lyric, which we saw a preview of back at CES uh, in January. Uh, the Lyric is uh, L-Y-R-I-Q. Uh, it's meant to be something about the size of uh, an X-T5, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, and it's meant to compete directly with the likes of the Tesla Model X and the Audi e-tron. Uh, this is going to be a four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive vehicle. Um, with, you know, pretty serious luxury appointments. Uh, it's definitely going to be a little bit lower and a little more luxurious than I think uh, what at least saying about the size of the X-T5 means in your head. Uh, but overall, you know, Cadillac, they know which side of the bread uh, is buttered for them, and it's going to be people who are looking to make a statement with their luxury car. Think the Escalade in terms of uh, presence this new uh, Lyric is going to be, you know, something along those lines. But to go up against, you know, Audi, which is very conservative in its styling, uh, very conservative in its powertrain operation, very conservative in its charging capabilities. Uh, you know, the Audi 
is meant to be a transition vehicle largely for them as a company where, you know, maybe you have a Q5 and you go, well, I want something electric this time. You would graduate up to the e-tron where it still drives largely the same as your uh, Q5, but in the end, Audi will eventually have something that's the next step that's maybe a little more regenerative, maybe a little more uh, efficient with its energy use, things like that. Tesla Model X, of course, is a large departure for a lot of folks. I mean, the regenerative braking is pretty extreme. Obviously, the styling of the vehicle is very extreme. The use case for the Falcon doors is very extreme. Uh, in the end, you know, GM wants something practical that's usable, that's stylish, functional, and luxurious, and makes a statement about them as a brand, as well as GM as a brand on the whole. Uh, so the Lyric, I think, is going to be the first one that we're going to see mostly uh, by the end of this year, early 2021. Uh, they will also have another flagship luxury car coming out very soon called the Celestique. Uh, C-L-E-S-T-I-Q, if I remember how it, to spell it correctly. Uh, the Celestique will be a low-slung, sporty luxury car uh, that's going to be hand built. Uh, they're planning on building less than 300 of these cars a year. Uh, these are going to be custom done for every customer. Uh, they are going to be very unique, very luxurious vehicles, and the talk is that these are going to be six-figure cars to start, and at least one of the indications that a GM person had said to a press reporter is that the car will not be starting with a one, but very likely a two in terms of price. Uh, so this will make the Celestique a uh, flagship car not only for Cadillac, but for GM on the whole, uh, pushing the Corvette aside, which seems like a big no-no compared to previous uh well, expectations for General Motors, but putting Cadillac back at the top of their priority list, I think seems like a pretty smart idea and having a super luxurious, futuristic take on uh, all weather, all road, all types of driver performance, I think, I think is pretty unique. Um, yeah, one of the Reporters were saying that uh, it's very European in terms of its uh, luxury expectations and execution. Uh, so I guess in my brain, I'm thinking, you know, Bentley Continental. I'm thinking, uh, you know, uh, Rolls-Royce Phantom, or maybe not Phantom, but Ghost or Wraith. Um, something that's, you know, of a pretty good size, really nice handcrafted materials, uh, probably incorporating a lot of the design features from the new Escalade inside. Um, it could be pretty interesting. Now, speaking of the Escalade, uh, Cadillac also showed off a full-size SUV that is going to be um, battery electric. Uh, this thing is meant to not replace the Escalade, but be something that is alongside the Escalade in their portfolio. Uh, this has me wondering to some extent if this is going to be uh, the next step beyond where the X-T6 currently is. Uh, a lot of people have talked about how the X-T6 is a stopgap vehicle in Cadillac's lineup, uh, meant to kind of just fill a role until the next thing comes along. Um, if this truly is that thing, uh, it's meant to, you know, again, just be that slight half-step uh, down and over from the Escalade, uh, being something completely unique and different, uh, but also, you know, similarly styled, powerful, looking at presence, luxury, you know, those kinds of things that Cadillac does fairly well, you know, uh, that being said, you know, newer Cadillacs, I don't really have the same passionate response to them that I had a few short years ago, um, but something like this I think could be pretty exciting, and if they are giving it an actual name, uh, that would be great. Um, as much as I don't really care for the way that they're doing the Lyric and Celestique names, uh, hey, you know, at least it's a name and not a number, and that's always a good thing. Now, going on down the line, at least in terms of luxury and performance, uh, we get to Hummer. Hummer is actually going to have two electric vehicles. We know about one of them, which is the new electric pickup truck that's going to be by GMC. Well, it turns out they're also doing an SUV. Uh, this new GMC, or excuse me, Hummer by GMC uh, SUV is going to be based on the same chassis. It's going to be a couple inches shorter, um, but overall, you know, the same general idea of what we've had before. It's going to be something that's going to have really high quality uh, materials, a little bit more of a luxurious presence compared to, say, a GMC or a Chevrolet. 
Uh, it's going to have the same 1,000 horsepower electric motor uh, and battery system. It's going to have, you know, over 1,000 pound-feet of torque. Uh, it's meant to be a high-performance, high-utility, luxury SUV. Uh, not quite the same as the Escalade sibling, uh, but something that's definitely going to be targeting what Rivian is doing directly. Uh, it seems like GM's not explicitly saying that, but in the way that they expect these things to be sized and priced, uh, these Hummer-branded uh, vehicles are going to be going up uh, directly against the Rivian R1S and R1T. And, uh, you know, by all intents and purposes, uh, I think GM has a good chance of going direct to them with these vehicles. Uh, it also is important to note that Ford and Lincoln are both going to be producing uh, SUVs based on these Rivian-platformed uh, vehicles, so electric crossovers and pickup trucks, uh, to go head-to-head -head with GM in this segment. And, uh, yeah, this could get really interesting really quickly. Uh, with GM saying that this new battery technology can go up to 800 kilowatt hours in terms of battery capacity and have a charge rate somewhere around 350 kilowatts, uh, these things are going to have a lot of juice to put out and they're going to be able to charge very quickly. Um, depending on how they roll these things, uh, I, I, I genuinely go, I have no idea who's going to have the better product. Uh, GM going in on this all by themselves, you know, who who knows? It's hard to say. I like the idea of these Hummers, uh, in at least in terms of concept. I want to see what the actual thing is, because um, in my mind, I'm only picturing the Hummer H3 and the Hummer H3T, uh, but electric, and that's not really a good place to be at. Um, but they were saying that the interiors of these things were uh, very nicely appointed using a lot of the uh, lessons learned in the new Yukon SUV uh, with both the truck and the uh, SUV for Hummer. Um, they're using weird nods to like uh, the Sea of Tranquility and like the moon landing uh, with these things. You know, GM, of course, having built uh, moon vehicles uh, for NASA back in the 70s. So, hey, you know... <laughs> Who knows what exactly this is going to be uh, going forward for them. Uh, GM also had a Buick concept vehicle there. Um, not a lot of details about what this Buick SUV is. Uh, may, probably more of a crossover. Uh, my guess is, at least based on what they're talking about, this is probably going to be about the size of an Envision. Uh, I imagine that the Envision's time in the GM or in the Buick lineup is probably going to be a lot shorter than what we think, uh, just based on the trade war and so many other things. Uh, this new luxury crossovery type thing for Buick uh, is really meant to just point the way for Buick's new styling elements. Uh, Buick, of course, was uh, essentially the American export for Opel, the German brand, for some time. Uh, but now that Opel is owned and operated by Peugeot, they're going a slightly different direction in their styling, uh, it's more than due time for Buick to do the same. Uh, they were saying that it's going to have a very European look. My guess is that if Buick's going to do anything, they're going to try to mimic more of what Mercedes-Benz is doing than what BMW would do. Um, but, you know, time will tell. It's probably going to be a long while until we see what this Buick concept is. Now, Lastly, we have Chevrolet. Uh, Chevrolet has got uh, two tangible things that we're going to be seeing very soon, and one thing uh, off in the very distant future. Uh, the first of which is the Bolt and the Bolt EUV. Uh, now, the Bolt we've had on sale in the U.S. for, what, a few years now? I think 2016 is when they went on sale. Uh, the Bolt was very well received by most people. It was very well done by GM. Uh, I like the Bolt quite a bit. Perhaps my only complaint is that the interior uh, surfaces, bits and bobs, just don't seem to have the quality uh, that other competitors have at this point. Um, but we are going to be getting a styling refresh on the current Bolt uh, exterior and interior, it sounds like, very soon. Uh, no changes in terms of battery technology or motor technology as of yet. Uh, but the Bolt EUV will be based on the same chassis as the Bolt. Uh, it'll grow by about 5 inches. It'll get a little bit taller. Uh, overall, kind of being reminiscent of the Volt crossover concept that we saw uh, many, many years ago. Uh, 
just being an all-electric thing. Um, this seems like a pretty natural progression for the Bolt overall. Uh, we, you know, again, it's, it's tough to say, yeah, they're going to try to block against the Tesla Model Y, but in the end, the Tesla Model Y is still going to be a larger vehicle, a more luxurious vehicle than what the Bolt EUV would be. Uh, but in its own segment, largely by itself, uh, the Bolt EUV is really only going to be going up against the Kona EV and the Kia Niro EV, uh, with which are both smaller than what the Bolt would ultimately end up being. So, <clears throat> tough to say what exactly this is going to be, who's going to buy it. Uh, I think GM's really just kind of hedging their bets and going, well, everybody wants a crossover. Everybody wants an SUV. Why not make an electric thing that's give or take about that size and see what happens? Uh, I think the thing I'm most curious about with is, one, what kind of price penalty you're going to be paying for the slightly larger vehicle, and two, what kind of range penalty you end up having uh, by going up in size and ultimately having a little bit more of an aero issue than you would with the smaller uh hatchback size um we'll see i don't know it sounds like this one's going to be shown off pretty soon uh, i have a feeling that the euv probably would be debuting in new york at the auto show but again if the auto show doesn't end up happening i assume gm will may probably let us know uh, by the time the detroit auto show uh happens this summer now, uh, as far as future Chevrolets are concerned, we've got two different ones. Uh, first is going to be a new electric crossover that's give or take the size of a Chevy Blazer and uses a lot of the styling cues that the Chevy Blazer currently employs. Uh, so squinty eyes, uh, big grills, and uh, kind of Camaro-like taillights on the back end. Uh, this new crossover would probably go on sale within the next two to three years. Uh, and would be slated to go up against, well, the Tesla Model Y. Uh, being closer in size, being closer in performance, uh, there's a good chance that this GM SUV would probably just try to be the value contender uh, in that size and range class. We've already seen that Audi is trying to make a smaller e-tron. Uh, we've seen that Mercedes wants to do smaller electric vehicles. Uh, I think what this really is going to boil down to is whether or not Chevy can hit the price point of under $40,000 to start on this thing. But, you know, as somebody who really likes the looks of the Blazer, but doesn't care for the overall output of what we ended up actually getting, um, this could be a pretty cool thing. Uh, again, you know, trying to block against Tesla, trying to maybe run a size step below Rivian in terms of price and performance uh, seems like a smart move. Uh, and definitely points the way for more electric vehicles to slide into their portfolio and outright replace other vehicles as things move along. Now, the very far-off distant thing that they showed off at this show uh, is a new electric pickup truck for GM. This is going to be a full-size electric pickup truck, uh, not based on a current platform. It will be on the new skateboard architecture. Uh, it would have the full-fat 800-kilowatt-hour battery. Uh, it would have the full-fat 350-kilowatt uh, charger. It would have, um, you know, a lot of off-road and on-road capability. It's really meant to be a work truck. And this is really, I think, the shot across the bow against Rivian and Tesla. On the one hand, uh, Rivian is saying, you know, we're going to build uh, luxury electric vehicles first and then kind of move down market in the same way that Tesla kind of started off. Uh, but, you know, the price of pickup trucks are pretty high at this point, and what they're talking about in their electric trucks aren't really too far beyond where nicely appointed, uh, you know, high country Chevrolets or uh, GMC Denali's are at. And, you know, deciding to build something that's not that, that's built for people who are out on work sites and people who are doing, you know, some weekend warrior DIY stuff at home. Uh, seems like a really smart idea for GM. Think of Tesla with the Cybertruck. You know, they they claim that they're going to be making a very affordable, uh, easy to use and operate pickup truck, but the styling on it is, well, not for everyone. And the overall practicality of this truck still doesn't seem quite there in terms of what people are actually going to use. So this Chevy going, well, by 2025... We're going to have an all-new pickup truck. 
It's going to be full size. It's not going to replace the Silverado, but it's going to be sold alongside it. It's going to be able to tow just as much. It's going to be able to haul just as much. It's going to be just as fast, uh, but it's going to be electric and it's going to be more affordable than what our competitors offer. Uh, seems like a very smart thing to do. Uh, I'm very excited to see what this truck is, especially when they use the words work truck to describe it. Um, if they're not making it too Spartan, you know, they're keeping like some of the base, like think of like a base trim Silverado. You still get a pretty decent amount of equipment in one of those. If you can promise that level of basic equipment in this truck with the kind of range that comes with that kind of a big battery, the kind of power that comes with that kind of a big battery and motor system, uh, I am, I am more than game for it. I think it's going to be a very, very cool vehicle to see what ends up happening. Now, GM also posted a GIF uh, online uh, talking about the skateboard platform and some of the different uh, body lines that could be used on this later on. And so these are vehicles that were at least indicated by shapes, squiggly shapes over a platform, uh, not tangible things that were actually at this press conference. Uh, and some of those shapes seem to indicate that GM's thinking about a lot of other things that they could do uh, with this going forward. Uh, one of them is something along the lines of a Chevy Camaro follow-up, uh, but electric. We have seen an electric Camaro drag car already. Uh, GM is selling the parts and equipment to build your own electric Camaro or buy one outright. Uh, GM is also talking about doing electric conversions for older high-performance cars. Uh, there is a demand to some extent, I think, for uh, electric sports coupes and to have a personal luxury coupe uh, that is potentially rear-wheel drive with 400-plus horsepower, uh, instant torque. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, think, uh, think the Polestar 1 that's on sale right now uh, all over the world. Something like that from GM for a lower price about the size of a Camaro, maybe with some Camaro styling elements. Uh, you know, give it a different name. You know, I, for one, would love to see the return of the Beretta, even though that name is maybe stained a little bit more than what it should be uh, these days. But a Beretta sports coupe uh, uh, with an EV powertrain, you know, of a decent size would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, another one of the body styles that was featured on there looked very similar to the first generation Chevy Astro and GMC Safari. Uh, Ford just broke a story that they're planning on building and selling electric vans in the not too distant future that use uh, Rivian's electric technology on their current platforms. Uh, GM doing the same kind of thing, but with personal transport vehicles like the Astro or Safari uh, could be very interesting as well because uh, vans are suddenly cool again in some circles. Uh, so, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things. GM has done the work. And I think this is one of those things where, on the one hand, I start to get a little worried in my heart, in my soul, because... You know, GM has been, what's a good way to put this? GM, in, in the in the 30 whatever years I've been around, GM has built a lot of really cool technology. They have spearheaded its development. Uh, they have put it in vehicles that, um, you know, were ahead of their time. You know, think of cars like the Buick Riata. Uh, think of, you know, the early versions of the Cadillac DTS. Think of, uh, you know, Hell, even the Corvette, the Firebird, for some example. Uh, these cars all employed technologies that we didn't really see the fruits of until 20 years later. Uh, whether that's touchscreens on the dashboard, uh, navigation systems, uh, magnetic suspensions, uh, radar cruise control, uh, infrared cameras on the front of the car to see in the dark and in the fog... Uh, they've done a lot of really advanced work. The problem is that they they have this technology ready and they go, yeah, we're going to do it. And they put it out in the market and it sucks. And they don't continue to develop it and fix it. And then they drop it and they move on to the next thing. And, you know, part of that probably comes from the fact that GM was losing money faster than they could make it uh, throughout the 80s and 90s. You get into the 2000s and it's just a fucking mess. Um, but this point in time, you know, GM is relatively sustainable. 
Um, they have a pretty good market presence. Uh, they seem to be knowing and understanding what they need to do to get into the EV game and help develop it into a standard, not only for themselves, but across the world. Uh, <clears throat> it's pretty exciting. And I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of it. I'm very hopeful for what happens. Um, and I think more than anything, if GM gets into these weird segments of cars... Uh, crossovers, SUVs, whatever. Uh, I hope it forces the hand of Rivian and Tesla and Lucid and BMW and Mercedes-Benz and Audi and all these other car companies uh, to follow them into actual segments of cars that cater to very specific parts of the market uh, to build cool things again. Because I don't want a million electric crossovers. I want that sporty coupe. I want that you know, luxurious uh, GT car. I want, you know, something crazy. I just want cool and different stuff again. And if GM's going to make the commitment to it, hopefully, hopefully somebody else will as well. Well, last up, it's a car whatever section, and I'm going to talk a bit about some of the used car shopping that I've been doing. Uh, it's a weird time in my life. Uh, I'm still not fully employed full-time. Uh, I've been working a part-time job, been able to walk to work in this very mild winter most days, and in the end, you know, it's sucks not having a car, but it's also been kind of nice not having a car to some extent, uh, simply because, well, you know, you don't have to pay 300 plus dollars a month for car insurance and a car note. You know, that's always a great thing. And uh, overall, you know, I, as I continue to look, I continue to ponder about what I want. Uh, the more my SO and I have talked about uh, what exactly we want in our lives uh, beyond our current Toyota Camry that we're splitting, um, we kind of realize that a crossover or an SUV or a wagon of some type, something that's a little more, uh, I'm going to use the word capable, day-to-day, makes some level of sense. Uh, I've talked at length about how I think a Volvo is likely to be the next vehicle, but the more and more I think about it, the more and more I continue to go, but what if it breaks? And, you know, Volvos aren't exactly the cheapest thing to work on uh, and to replace parts on. Um, I can do some work myself, but, you know, Newer Volvos are a little more complicated than older ones, and the newer ones have a lot of the things that I want, including, you know, heated leather seats, uh, power seats, uh, you know, uh, a good traction and stability control, all-wheel drive, uh, safety equipment, airbags, all those kinds of things. And so when you start looking at 2007 and up Volvos, uh, you're getting into pretty expensive territory on some stuff and that's where kind of my hesitation is at and you know as much as I think a V70 or an XC70 uh, makes a lot of sense uh, it's continued to kind of drift around in the top five vehicles that I'm shopping for um, you know just kind of lingering I, I need to go out and look at one and drive one get a sense of whether or not I actually like it uh, from what I understand the later uh V70s and XC70s are a little more floaty than what ones before it were. Uh, they're not built quite as solidly. Um, in some cases, they are a little more reliable because they lack the turbocharged engine and the cheaper transmissions that were put in them. Um, but, you know, this was also the time when Ford had controlled Volvo and uh, cost cutting was definitely a big part of the game. So it's hit and miss with, with what's good and what's not in some of these vehicles. Uh, on the flip side, you know, I continue to dance around a lot of different Toyota options. Uh, Toyota and Lexus, of course, built vehicles that are supremely reliable, um, easy to work on, parts are easy to source. Um, we just did some repairs on the Camry that unfortunately ended up costing me a little bit more than what I wanted. Um, but in the end, you know, they're repairs that I probably could have done in my driveway but I didn't have the tools to completely diagnose myself. Uh, and, you know, I didn't want to ring up 200 plus dollars of parts on my own without knowing that 
I actually needed to spend that, and we ended up having to take it to a mechanic to have him solve it, but because I had already done some of the work, I saved hundreds of dollars in that process, and, you know, it worked out okay. So, uh, you know, we've been looking at, you know, getting the next step beyond our current Camry, going with something like a Lexus ES uh, 300 or 330, but having that uh, crossover body style gets slightly more appealing day to day, and so the RX 300 and 330 uh, become a frequent vehicle on our list. Same thing with the Toyota Highlander Limited. Uh, those two vehicles share a chassis, share a powertrain, uh, share really a lot of things. I think in the end, what it really boils down to is I really only like the brand new uh, Toyota Highlander, and I only like the first-gen Toyota Highlander. Anything in the middle, I don't really care for. Uh, so that really kind of eliminates a lot of shopping, and, uh, you know, those early uh, Highlanders were really well-loved, and unfortunately they have tons and tons and tons and tons of mileage on them, uh, and it's been very difficult to find one uh, that has less than 200,000 miles on it. Uh, just the same, RX300s and 330s are also very well-loved, and they were very popular, and have also become very difficult to find with less than 200,000 miles on them. Uh, the first and second gen RXs, I like a lot. The newer ones, eh, they're fine. Uh, but those early ones, uh, the, my big concern is that the, uh, the LCD screens in them look silly. Um, especially today in 2020, uh, when LCD screens look so much nicer. They were a wonderful novelty in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, but they just look stupid now, um, especially in an era where, you know, cell phone integration so much with uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto become important. I would want to make some kind of conversion there. And in that case, uh, the Toyota Highlander makes a lot more sense. And I'm kind of leaning a little bit more in that direction, but... Uh, I like nice things, and the RX 330 then kind of pulls me back. So, again, we'll kind of see where we're at there. But the surprise vehicle that's come seemingly out of nowhere, almost like a savior from the clouds, has been the Infinity EX. Do you remember the Infinity EX? I completely forgot about the EX uh, up until recently. Uh, so, Infinity. The, the brain geniuses at Infinity and Nissan, uh, they determined at some point that they wanted to have a small luxury crossover in their lineup to do battle with the BMW X3, uh, the Audi Q5, uh, obviously the Lexus RX SUR crossovers. Um, this Infinity, however, this was at the time where Infinity was really at their prime here in the United States. Uh, they had been wiping the floor with a lot of the competition specifically with the G35 uh, sedan and sport coupe. Uh, they were based on that wonderful FM chassis. Uh, they used the 3.5 liter VQ V6 that had been around but was in its ultimate design form. And, uh, you know, they had cars that were powerful, fun to drive, relatively affordable, and in the end, ultimately pretty reliable. <coughs> Excuse me, oh my gosh. Uh, as such, all things considered, uh, you know, they went, hey, let's let's use this formula, let's make a, a uh, sporty crossover. And in the end, the EX35 basically took the chassis uh, from the G35 Coupe. They shortened it by 5 inches, I think, or was it 7? It was less than 10 inches. So they shortened the chassis, shortened the wheelbase, uh, to give it an even sportier dynamic. Uh, they used the same all-wheel drive system from the sedan and the Coupe. And in the end, uh, they created, I guess, what is a carving machine. I have not driven one. I have not seen one up close in person in a while. Uh, but they apparently handle quite well. Uh, the ride is maybe a little harsh, but I'm still a young man, and I think my body can handle it. Uh, and all the interior trim and accoutrement was carryover stuff from the uh, sedan and coupe. So... You know, the infotainment system, which was only recently just replaced uh, in most Infinities these days, uh, should be, for the most part, dead reliable. Uh, in theory, I could probably walk into an Infinity dealer and get an updated uh, SD card hard drive with updated navigation and information uh, and slot it right in. Uh, it should be relatively easy to do. Uh, just the same, 
There might even be ways to convert it into a more modern infotainment system, which would be absolutely wonderful because, again, they haven't converted these cars yet. Uh, they're still using almost all the same technology, uh, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, and, you know, the engine options were the same as what was in, you know, Nissan's. It was the same that was in uh, other Infinities. Like, they were used in everything, so parts are readily available in many places. Where things get kind of wishy-washy, timey-wimey is, well, the transmission shifted from a 5-speed automatic to a 7-speed automatic later on. Uh, while that 7-speed did appear in a lot of Infinities, uh, it was not used in Nissan's, uh, but the 5-speed automatic was... So there, there's some weird costs that could be associated with some things that I'm maybe not anticipating. Now, the other great thing is that these things are relatively cheap with relatively low miles. Uh, a lot of these are uh, at least coming up for sale right now between 2010 and 2012 with right around 100,000 miles. So they probably had their 100,000 mile service done. Uh, these cars are seemingly pretty well maintained. Uh, they seem to get fairly okay fuel economy. I think it's in the low to mid 20 mile per gallon range. Uh, and, you know, in the end, it seemed like a pretty nice deal for around ten dollars to $12,000. Uh, <clears throat> the one weird thing I've noticed, at least with this vehicle in particular, is that the interior plastics seem to wear very quickly. Um... By that I mean uh, I've seen some examples uh, with steering wheels where the plastic finish on the wheel has almost completely uh, removed itself from the wheel. And I don't know if that's because, you know, some OCD driver is just sitting there picking at it while they're in traffic or if it's something where um, the plastic just deteriorates on its own and starts to fall apart. Uh, similarly, I've noticed that some of the plastic buttons on some of the dashboard are worn pretty significantly on some cars. Other ones, you don't notice any difference whatsoever. Um, it's a very strange vehicle. Uh, that stuff that I would expect on, you know, a 20-year-old Toyota with 250,000 miles on it, uh, not a relatively new Nissan uh, with, you know, right around 100,000 miles on it. That seems a little strange. So... We're going to continue kind of looking and shopping uh, for these things. I went to go look at one the other day at a local dealer. Uh, it had been there for a few days, and I happened to have a day off, and it was already gone. Um, they are pretty hard to track down. Uh, I've only seen about three or four other ones come up for sale in the past month or so uh, online. Uh, so it's been, well, it's going to be interesting to see what pops up. But I never would have thought at any point in time in my life that I'd be looking at an Infinity because I'm really generally not an Infinity guy. Uh, they just don't have the... What's a good way to put this? They don't have the uh, the panache. I don't know. That's not even a good word. They don't have the quality, the representation that Lexus has. Uh, Lexus has got the brand quality of Toyota to back them up. Uh, they just seem like a much higher pedestal company. Uh, and just the same, I think to some extent, and this is going to sound absolutely ludicrous, uh, even Cadillac has a better brand reputation than Infinity in my mind, uh, simply because, well, you know, they, they're still making competent vehicles to some extent. Infinity only just got Apple CarPlay and Android Auto in their cars for 2019 and 2020 model year vehicles when this has been around for years, years and years and years. They're still running VQ engines in some of their cars. They are still uh, <clears throat> based on chassis that are the better part of a decade and a half old. Uh, you know, Infinity gets by is maybe the best way to put it. Uh, but I, I genuinely believe that the EX35 and potentially an EX37 uh, might be a good way to go. Anyway, guys, after the bump, we'll wrap things up, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about some other stuff. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast for Monday, March 9th, 2020. Um, as always, you know, we do these episodes usually at least once a week, depending on how news ends up sorting itself out. 
uh, with all the stuff going on with the financial markets and with uh, gasoline prices potentially, uh, other car show announcements, hell, whether or not the New York Auto Show is even going to happen in a few short weeks, uh, I'm sure we'll have some things to talk about as the week goes on. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for a potential scrap story later this week. Uh, in other news, guys, if you want to follow along with me, uh, you can do so at Twitter or on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, I've been thinking about reorganizing the way that we do this show a bit, uh, putting out more social media handles just for the show itself. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled, I guess, if that thing starts happening. Uh, but with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. I hope the news gets a little bit better uh, in the next couple of days. And uh, if you're here in Michigan, make sure that you go out and vote tomorrow on Tuesday, March 10th. Uh, we do have our Michigan uh, primaries are going on, so it's important that you cast your ballot to make your voice heard. Uh, as much as I want to tell you to, hey, vote for Bernie Sanders, you know, it is your ticket. Do as you please. Uh, so with all that, my guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. 